Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As we enter what's typically a quiet period of the year for the Edmonton Oilers and the NHL, it is summer after all. We are coming off recent news of the team signing their first round pick from June's entry draft, Evan Bouchard, to a three-year contract. As has been the case with the franchise, particularly over the last dozen years, such high picks have been getting long looks at training camp and an exhibition, and have seen NHL playing time right away. Some recent examples... Kyler Yamamoto played nine games last year before being sent back to the Western Hockey League Spokane Chiefs. Leon Dreisaitl played almost half a season with the big club as a rookie, just after being drafted third overall in 2014. And Jesse Pugliarvi played 26 games in his rookie campaign the fall after he was taken fourth overall in June 2016. Can we expect Bouchard to get the same kind of long look? I talked to London Free Press sports writer Ryan Payette, who covers Bouchard's junior team, the London Knights of the Ontario Hockey League, but what kind of player he is. Bouchard is clearly capable of being an offensive defenseman, as he led the Knights and all OHL defensemen in scoring. But what else does he bring? And then I joined Edmonton Journal and Sun hockey writer Derek Van Deest and digital editor Trevor Robb, one of our verifiable walking sports encyclopedias in the newsroom, to talk about some pie-in-the-sky order stuff. No, the Oilers aren't moving their AHL team to Edmonton. It's not on the radar. Considering the success of farm teams playing in the same cities as their NHL parents, in Toronto, in Montreal, and in Winnipeg, would placing one in Edmonton work? Could all three of the Oilers, the junior oil kings of the WHL, and an AHL team work here? Are there enough rabid hockey fans to sell out Oilers games, plus get, say... 7,000 people on average to both Oil Kings and AHL games. I'm Craig Ellingson. This is the Oil Spills Podcast for Tuesday, July 24th, 2018. Ryan, how long have you been covering the London Knights? Oh, it feels like about 20 years, but um, since uh, 2005, so getting on, uh, getting on 13 years, pretty pretty regularly uh, as as the beat guy. So uh, it's it's been a lot of fun. Uh, junior hockey's great. So you've been covering the Knights, you know, during the Hunter era here. I mean, the Hunters bought the team in 2000, if I'm not mistaken. 
Um, That's right. And this is – they've been a very successful team. Oh, they, they've been fantastic. Uh, you know, they really revolutionized in the OHL uh, the, the, the approach to – to building uh, a hockey team and then maintaining, uh, you know, competitiveness. Uh, a lot of that uh, is when they moved into the new building. It took uh, two or three years, and they uh, London uh, built a new uh, rink, uh, but now it's called the Budweiser Gardens. And uh, and and when once the Hunters got in there, and it was nine thousand seats, and they they said that they're getting six, seven thousand, and they said, let's figure out a way to to you know keep this going. And they they've been having they've been averaging. Around nine thousand fans a game ever since. It's uh, it's quite an experience. Everybody that comes in from the NHL, if they've never been there before, or, or from you know parts elsewhere, uh, if they if they say it's quite an experience to see a game here. Now, being successful means you have to find the players, and the Knights have had you know over this last well, let's say since two thousand, but even more recently because you know I think the Knights won the the Mem Cup there in 05 and more recently here in 2016. But they've had, you know, Corey Perry, Patrick Kane, Mitch Marner, Rick Nash. I know John Tavares played a few games for the Knights one year, but they've had a very consistent flow of excellent players come through there. How does that happen? (laughs) I I, I think um, uh, it basically comes down to Mark and Dale Hunter. Like uh, Mark is known as you know, his time in the Leafs, he got a little bit more notoriety. But around junior hockey, he's known as one of the one of the you know God given best evaluators of talent there is. I know there's a few people you know in the Western League and, and the Quebec League, you know, that have similar talents to him. Uh, but but he's incredible, uh, and you know the where he'll go. Uh, I don't. I think he said one time he put twenty five thousand. 30,000 kilometers on his car and then like a one hockey season or something like that looking for, looking for kids and um, you know the, some of the things the Knights have done to you know it's not just the first round picks like you mentioned they they send a lot of guys uh, to the NHL that were free agents or later round picks and then it's it, it goes on to where the point where in in Finland for instance they know about the London Knights and, and the play the, the players you know will leave their will leave their teams and, and come play in London. And also uh, the U.S. College in, in, in Michigan specifically, um, you, we never see that uh, before in the OHL where, you know, these top kids from Michigan would come into Ont- into a city in Ontario. Some would go to, you know, the, the American markets or, or what have you. The odd one would come, but these guys get, have a steady flow of them. Uh, coming. You, you mentioned Patrick Kane and then, you know, more recently Matthew Kachuk and, and uh, Max Jones and uh, for Anaheim, there um, they consistently get these guys. They out recruit U.S. colleges, whose basically the entire budget of a hockey program is to is for recruiting. So th- these guys are quite incredible at it. Yeah, you know, in my notes here, you know, when we were talking before the podcast, you know, for Oilers fans, uh, you know, obviously some players have who've uh, donned the Oilers colors, have played in London recently. Sam Gagne and Robbie Shrimp and Pat Maroon played for the Knights for a year. You know, at least we talked about Evan Bouchard. Um, we are trying to figure out what kind of a player he is. We know he's obviously offensively gifted. He led the Knights in scoring. He led all OHL defensemen in scoring. But what kind of player is Evan Bouchard? Does he bring more than just a scoring and prowess to the table? 
yeah, I, th- I think he, I think he does. I think um, a lot of times his his defense is underrated, and I'll, you know we can talk about that a little bit. The fact is, he played 34 minutes tonight in London last year. Uh, the Knights thought they're going to have three or four defensemen back, uh, veteran defensemen, and they never came back. So a lot of the load fell on Evan's shoulders. So there was a lot of if you look at clips of Evan Bouchard. This year, playing defense, it would be easy to pick them apart. And I know the scouts, we, we've talked to various NHL scouts about that. A, a lot of times, he needs to conserve his energy. So he won't he won't go in the corners as hard for one shift. But, I mean, this, if this guy played, you know, if he played 15, 20 minutes, he's a, he's a very hard player. Um, I, I think the uh, he's a very smart player. I, I think that the, when we start, when Evan Bouchard started, Last year, when he started rising and became like someone that we thought would become like a, a star player in this league, I, I asked Dale Hunter, uh, the Knights coach, um, you know, like you always look for comparables, and he right away, as soon as he knew I was fishing for that question, he said John Carlson. He said John Carlson in Washington. He says he, he Evan reminds him the most of, of that. Just the just, just the the style of his game, uh, how 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 smart naturally was out there how calm he was on the ice and and you know that and obviously he's got a cannon for a shot and he finds a way i think one of the things the oiler fans will come to appreciate is one of evan bouchard's great talents like ryan ellis um you know the national predator defenseman who who was a, a great great probably the best defenseman i've seen since i've covered the ohl uh when he was in windsor uh he gets pucks through they don't hit shin pads they don't hit they, they don't cause breakaways the other way he, he gets the puck he's got this uncanny ability from the point to get the puck through and I, I think every that's probably why um, you know he, he went so high people uh, um, there's so much shot blocking in the game today in the, in the pro game and, and this kid just finds a way to get pucks through and and, and uh, I think that's one of his greatest assets you know Bouchard's been with the Knights he was you know three full seasons now he's turning 19 in October what changes have you seen of him over that time? You know, I expect there's obviously a whole heck of a lot of changes. You know, he's he's a teenager. He's growing physically and emotionally. You know, that's, of course, we expect that. But how has he grown as a hockey player over that time? Yeah, I, I, I think I, I've seen the confidence in him on the on the ice. I remember when he was 15 years old. You know, that uh, he came in as a first rounder. Like it, it's hard on the London Knights. That, that was a championship. That was the team that won. With Mitch Marner and uh, Christian Dvorak and, and Matthew Kachuk, they they won they won the, they won it all. And and you know he came in 20, 20th overall pick, and uh, he was he was a big scorer uh, in midget. He what really popped out about Evan Bouchard was he got twenty goals as a as a midget defenseman in Ontario AAA, and you don't you don't you barely ever see that. And uh, that was a lot of goals. And his team wasn't outstanding. They like it wasn't like he played for the Toronto Marlies or one of these great. Great teams. He played. He played in Oakville at home, and and he was the best player by far on his team. So he had to he had to lead the way. When he got in at 15, I think it was it was a bit overwhelming. I think it, you know it's it's tough. You come in. There's there's big in London. There's there's a big spotlight. There's big expectations on you as a first rounder. And the way Dale Hunter writes his veterans all the time. He didn't he didn't play a ton. He he. You know, you could tell he was a smart young player. He obviously wasn't very strong when he came in, he, he, but he showed. You know, he was going to be a big, a good sized kid like he is now. But I, I think one of the neat things was down the stretch, he did get to play. You know, injuries and and, and stuff like that. He did get to play, and the the 
it was uh, they, they were battling. It was out the year after Connor McDavid left, so 2016. Uh, he left Erie, but Erie and London were in a great battle for uh, for first place overall, and they, they were they were. I want to say they were tied going into the final regular season game in Erie, and, and Evan Bouchard played a lot in that game. And I remember um, a pivotal moment was he Erie's got really. Um, like they're short, they're short glass. It's short glass, so it's really tough. The, the the delay of game penalty is really tough there. And and Evan got under pressure and he flipped one over over the over the glass and got a penalty. And I think Erie capitalized on it and then they went on to win the game and finished first. And then um, the the night, so that that was a that was a tough spot for a young guy to be in. But I remember in the playoffs, um, you know, uh, he he wasn't going to play much on defense, but. Uh, a couple of veteran forwards weren't weren't really pulling their weight. So what Dale Hunter did was they they trans converted him to a right winger, and and they showed a lot of faith in him. And they and they put this 16 year old kid uh, out, out out on the wing in a in a tough first round playoff series against Owen Sound that went six games. And then after that, you know he he played sporadically the rest of the the rest of the year. He he didn't play, but he got he helped get them through that series. And I think that was a that was a huge moment for Evan Bouchard. And then he he came back the next year. Uh, and he had a very good season, um, you know, on, on not as good a team. And then this year he just took it to a new level. I mean, he was he was by far their best player. I, th- I thought he was, the, you know, the best player in the league. Uh, he, you know, he didn't win the MVP, but I, I mean, I I, I, I thought he was I, I thought he was right up there. You know, set set the everybody's talked about what he's done. He set the record for, for you know for for the for the Knights uh, defenseman scoring, uh, tied it. And uh, and you became the first D man to lead the team in scoring. And this is not like the London Knights have had a ton of 100 point guys over the years. And and you know for him to lead the, this franchise in scoring uh, from the back end, that that was a huge deal. And he, not just that, but he scored. Greg, he scored big goals. He scored overtime winners. He scored. He jumped up in the rush, and uh, I think he had seven game winners this year. And and all like you know when the Knights had lost two or three games in a row and they needed to win. You know, that's when he scored. And then he even got better after they traded. The, the Knights did something they rarely do this year. I think people kind of know that around hockey is they, they traded their top four scorers uh, for young prospects. And so Evan was kind of on an island <laughs> there offensively for a while, and, and he dealt with it really well. And I think I, I can't remember a guy like, you know, Corey Perry was uh, supposed to be a first-rounder, and he went 25th overall. Well, Evan Bouchard, I, I think everyone thought, you, you see, guys, Patrick Kane was supposed to be first overall. He went first overall. Uh, Evan Bouchard, I, I can't remember a first-round guy that, you know, people thought, well, oh, at the start of the year, they're saying end of the first round, you know, and then maybe middle of the first round. This guy went 10th overall, and then people felt he dropped to Edmonton. So, you know, I think when, when Chicago took Bulkvist, you know, I think now that, that'll be, I think Bulkvist, who is, who is actually signed, with the Knights and it may end up playing here if he doesn't crack Chicago's lineup, the eighth overall pick. It would be really interesting to see. Like I think there, there might be some comparisons. I know we will in London. We'll watch their careers to see who becomes a better player, you know. And, and I think in Edmonton and Chicago, they'll, they'll be they'll be watching that too. Yeah, and you know, obviously, Bokvist is uh, is a fallback just in case Bouchard somehow, some way, does make the orders in the fall. <laughs> I guess yeah, you see. know what. I, I don't, you know, I know that's, everyone asked me about that, and I, I, I would just say, he will, we'll see what happens in camp, I, I don't, I think if he, if he plays and deserves to be there, 
that than he should play. I mean, um, you know, we all fantasize about. I, I said it right after he was drafted. I'm like, man, this guy's gonna get a lot of points. Just he's so smart. He can move the puck so well. He's gonna be sending outlet passes to McDavid at the other blue line. Like he's capable of doing that. And I think that's what excites the Oilers. But we'll, we'll, you know, we'll see. He's got he's obviously got things to improve on and, and that sort of thing. And hey, if he doesn't make it. It, if he doesn't make it at 18 or 19 or whatever, then you know he can always come back here, be the captain again. The team's supposed to be pretty good in London, and then uh, you know he'll be you know he'll be a top defenseman on the on the Canadian World Junior team. So that that'd be exciting too. Yeah, well, you know we you know we've mentioned you know the knights of the past: Patrick Kane, Corey Perry, Marner, etc. How does Bouchard compare to some of these guys at this age? Where is he at? Um, yeah, like I, you know, it's, I always like to look at the, you know, it's hard to compare because they yeah, played it, different. It is a different but, team too. Like we're not talking about the the Knights from two years ago or even from a decade ago or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, you know what? I think he's. I, I'd say he's as smart as them. Like I, I think he's. Um, Evans a really good kid, and he's uh, you know constantly the the team t- raves about how. You know, the, the Knights don't have a lot of 18-year-old captains. It's usually an older 19- or 20-year-old player. The, the fact that they gave him the captaincy at, at 18 said a lot. Um, you know, I don't think there was a ton of other options because they'd moved all their captain material out. But, you know, I, I think the way he embraced it and the way he, he led this team, his team played better after they made the trades than they did when when they had those guys. So I think that says a lot. And, and, I, and the kids, the rest of the kids believe in him. And the the team always tells me that you know we look for character kids, we look for for kids that are good on and off the ice, like that they're that they're smart, uh, well behaved kids. And they said Evan Bouchard kind of like typifies that, you know, like he's 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 kind of that way. Now the the teams of the past, um, you know, the players of the past, uh, it was a different era, a different era. They didn't have the there wasn't that you know Rob, you know. Rob Shramp and all, and Corey Perry didn't have to go through the social media and all that. But I say Evan Bouchard, uh, you know, has handled as well as anybody has handled uh, the responsibility, and uh, he looks real comfortable now. From a guy that didn't look too comfortable when he when he came in, he looks really comfortable here. And I, I'd imagine that the same progression will happen in, in Edmonton. But you know, I, I think I think um, on the ice you're going to see, you know, he'll he'll be. He'll be, there's there's the speed factor that he's going to learn to handle up there, but I, I don't think it'll be a t- difficult adjustment. They, they, the Knights tell me he's one of the most intelligent players they, they've had come through, and and um, you don't have to you don't have to knock him over the head uh, teaching him things. He, he and he asks a ton of questions, and and um, that, that that's that, that's the guy that uh, so many guys on, on this in this franchise. He he's he's right up there with them and. You know, I, I would if he does come back here. Will he get a? Will he get hundred points? Will, will he be the first guy since defenseman since Ellis to get hundred points as a, as a defenseman? Maybe, but you know, I think I think he would come back on this team, and and his role might might change to where he has to be more of a shutdown, the top shutdown guy. So maybe I, I wouldn't worry if I was Edmonton and he comes back here. Uh, Oilers fans, I wouldn't worry too much about his point totals. I remember that that was happened. In Vancouver with Ole Ulavi, uh, you know their first pick there a couple of years ago. They they worried about his point totals because they ended up being the same. But I, w- I wouldn't say that. Just look at look at his entire game and see how that progresses. And that, that that's what uh, 
I'd focus on if Evan is here. And hey, if he's in Edmonton, that's great. Uh, you know, we'll all be cheering for him here in in London to get, send those passes up to Big Ninety Seven. in the sky time um it is the middle of july and the Oilers news is drying up so you know me and trevor were talking one day we have teams in the nhl that have their farm teams in the same city and mm-hmm. you know in canada we have the toronto marlies maybe mm-hmm. that's why we were talking about it yeah yeah i mean it just came up with conversation the marlies won the calder cup but they've been in toronto you know minutes away from the air canada center now the scotia bank arena and where the maple leafs play They've been there since 05. So they've been there for a solid, what, 12 years now, 13 years? Um, the Winnipeg Jets moved the Manitoba Moose back, you know, once obviously when the Jets were not around, the Manitoba Moose played in Winnipeg until the Jets came back in 2011. And uh, they came, they recalled their farm team to play out of the same arena three years ago, and it's been viable. Um, and Montreal moved their farm team from Hamilton to Laval to a brand new arena last season, this past season. And, uh, you know, they've been drawing crowds. You know, they're like the six, seven, eight thousand mark on average for all three of them, give or take. Uh, there's a bunch of numbers. I won't bore you with those details. But they are, you know, apparently making a go of it in the same market. Now, we're used to that out here in Edmonton, you know, in the Western Hockey League because we have the Oil Kings and the Oilers playing in the same building. It's the same in Vancouver. Well, it's not the same in Vancouver. It's the same in Calgary. They have the same thing. And, you know, sure enough, the Oil Kings and the Hitmen are two of the top drawing teams in the Western Hockey League with the same kinds of numbers. Like the Oil Kings last year, mind you, they're in a brand new arena. You know, second year was last year. What are they? They're averaging like seven, eight thousand 8,000 fans a game now. When in Rexall Place, they're averaging about 6,000, you know, mm-hmm. since the franchise came into being in 20, 2007. Um, anyway, so our pie in the sky thing is, what if the Oilers decided to put their AHL team back in Edmonton? Um, once upon a time, we did have the AHL team playing here, but that was 14 years ago when there was the lockout and the Roadrunners were put in place. There was no Oil Kings back then, uh, and the Oilers parachuted in their franchise to play in Rexall Place in place of the Oilers, and they... They averaged about 8,000 and change. Um, I mean, I'm sure some nights there were a lot fewer than that. Um, Having gone to a couple of those games, I do recall that. But, you know, it was still, obviously, people paid money. Not the kind of money they're charging for the orders, mind you. But people still wanted to go. But that was 14 years ago. You know, here we are in 2018. And I would argue that it's a very different environment uh, when it comes to hockey fandom even and what how people consume the Oilers the NHL in general in this city like we have the examples of Winnipeg Toronto and Montreal right now with their AHL teams uh, there's a few things to really you know caveats to put in place like right now the Oilers farm team is in Bakersfield in California where they have a circuit with you know what five other teams four or five other teams so it makes it you know 
viable for those teams to do a bus trip as opposed to having to fly all over the place. Um, you know, Bakersfield, Ontario, California, San Diego, San Jose has their team in their building. Um, Stockton, uh, the Flames Farm team. So, anyway, but my our immodest proposal, at least mine is, could the AHL make a go of it with both the Oilers and the Oil Kings still around? Well, it's it's interesting with with both the Oil Kings and the the Oilers. Um, it would give you, I, I think, another 30 to 40 dates into that building, mm-hmm. which will probably be a good thing for, for the Oilers. I think they would like that. They would then, then that would put <clears throat> a little less pressure on, on to fill those dates with concerts and things. My concern is the travel costs. If you bring your AHL team up here, like you said, now you got to fly them to California and fly them, or, or if you're going to bus them out to California to for those road trips. Um, I think the travel is the issue because I think whatever cost you're saving by having the team here and playing in your building, it's going to cost you to send them out on the road on those California road trips. And I think other teams aren't going to be too happy about having to travel up here, um, especially if Calgary doesn't have their team in Calgary. There's no real bus trip to go to if you're the AHL team. Uh, with the, you know, Likely Winnipeg, I guess, would be the closest trip to from Edmonton. So I think in logistically wise, I think the league would have to look at that and say, do we want a team out up in Edmonton? But otherwise, I think you could fill those dates. You you have the room to fill those dates. But then you're looking at, you're tiering your hockey your hockey fans. And then you're saying, well, only the elite can afford to come to the order games. If those that can't come to the order games, we have the AHL option. And then those that can't do the AHL option or would rather bring the kids to the WHL, and then you have the WHL. So you'd be tiering your hockey, your product. And I'm not sure that the Oilers, they went through that problem with the, you know, the tier one fans, the tier two fans. You go back to that now. They've basically already done that, I'd say. Yeah. But uh, the thing with uh, the thing with the AHL here in Edmonton, I just we, we you talked about the Roadrunners as being 14 years ago. I mean, that was before Twitter was such a such a, had such an impact on, on hockey and the way that fans consume the game. And I just see such a value in having an AHL team in Edmonton. I do see a lot of fans that I think would eat up that sort of hockey if you have a chance to see Ethan Bear or Caleb Jones or, or Yamamoto or Tyler Benson playing here I feel like the uh, the Oilers fans are so rabid in this city uh, and uh, they consume the Oilers I mean we're, we're talking about this in the dog days of summer here obviously but if we were to print a story right now online about the Oilers signing a farm team player it that story gets read mm-hmm. by everyone right like this this city is just they love their Oilers and I feel like if the if the AHL were to come here uh, that they would be able to support that franchise just just based on some of these numbers alone here I mean the AHL they they shift their their teams around all over the place. This California experiment has really only been about three or four years here. It's working in some markets. Uh, it is working in San Jose, uh, or sorry, not San Jose. It, it's working in San Diego. That's the top attendance in the league. It's not working so much in San Jose. Uh, it's really not working in Stockton either. Um, and, and so it's it's tough. I mean, the the Oilers, uh, sorry, the Oil Kings and the and the Calgary Hitmen. I, I feel like they're just such. They're like one of these things is not like the other when you look at junior hockey, right? Mm-hmm. You have teams in all these Swift Current, Moose Jaw, Brandon, Prince Albert, and then you come to 
Rogers Place in Edmonton where they got 9,000 people in this giant arena. It just doesn't feel like junior hockey to me. And I, I, I honestly don't know if you could have both an AHL and a WHL team. I think you might have to choose yeah. between the two. And to be honest, I just... The, the Oil Kings, I love them to death. I go to those games all the time. Uh, not as much as I'd like to. But uh, it just it doesn't feel like junior hockey to me there. Uh, I don't know. It, it, it's sort of weird in that sense there. But it, if you were to, if Oilers fans, you know, had that option to watch the AHL team at that price point where the Oil Kings are, I, I mean, I imagine that that attendance would be uh, exactly where the Oil Kings are right now at about 8,000. And that would put you at the tops of the AHL. And uh, just, you know, Craig, you and I were talking about this in the beginning because of how the Marlies were doing. And just the, the atmosphere at Rico Coliseum. And then I think they played some games there uh, at the Air Canada Centre. And Toronto's just going nuts for these guys. It's good hockey, too. Unlike, you know, Major Junior in the WHL, you do get the best of the best, right? You know, that's where the Stamkoses and, and, and uh, Yakupovs and... And all those great players that, uh, and, and Connor McDavid, you know, you get a chance to see that in junior hockey. You're not going to see that in the AHL. Yeah. If a, if a player is that good, he'll probably be in the NHL. But you do get these guys who are like a Tyler Benson. I, I'd love to see Tyler Benson play full time here in Edmonton. Uh, it w- I just think as a fan, I I, I think uh, I think Oilers fans would be all over it. Would it cut into as a fan the amount of games you go to Oilers games? Though? Well, the and price. I think, that, I think that's what. The, the, you I might think, even go to more hockey. Yeah, games. well, you might, but I, I would say would that cut into the fact that okay, let's say you go to three order games a year, and now with the AHL team here, you may only go to one order game a year and go to the AHL and go to the AHL games. I think is that is that something that the owners would consider? Do they want people not coming to their product to go watch something else? I guess it's all the same revenue stream; it's all going on the same place. But yeah, that's that's my question. What I think is happening is and this Trevor brought it up, is people are consuming the game differently now, partly because of things like social media, like Twitter. There's more conversation going on. We're able to see how players are progressing in different places immediately. Like you can go on to, you name your website, whether it's, you know, whatever hockey website it is, whether it's the AHL.com or whatever Mm -hmm. hockey website, and you're tracking these prospects. And people do that. And... We didn't do that in 2004, never mind before that, as much. I mean, the, the avenues of information weren't there. But you have such an interest in the development of these players that we talked about. You just talked about Ethan Barinol. No matter what, you know, it, it could be, it'll be different ki- uh, kids two years later. But, you know, we talk about the Marlies and the, you know, they sell at the building. Everybody's excited about it. There's an atmosphere there. There's a buzz. Partly because people know that this these guys are Maple Leafs. They are Maple Leafs. And, you know, I pulled a story from the Winnipeg Sun from this past year, mm-hmm. or was it a couple of years ago, talking about how the Manitoba Moose are a relative success, not only at the box office, but even you know, organizationally. Uh, Kevin Chenevaldeoff, the GM of the Jets, talked about how, you know, he was getting feedback from, from Moose players, um, how they're all in the same gang the organization is together it's not a team of 25 they feel like it's a team of 50 yeah and the value that would bring as well so anyway but that's that's more of an aside i think we you know the, the winnipeg example in particular when they're and they're drawing what eight thousand people a game maybe seven to eight it, it can work on a fan level and i think that's probably partly because 
of people being able to, you know, wanting to know how these players are doing. I think in part it would be that, but I think also in part it would be you have your market where you've, you've priced out a lot of fans in your market. And I think that's the issue right now is there a lot of people just simply can't afford to go to order games. And you just can't, uh, especially take your your family out to an order game. It's, a, it's an expensive night. Mm-hmm. So if you gave them this option, yeah, then I think there would be an audience for, for the AHL in that option. You just wonder if that would, like Trevor said, push out the Western Hockey League. Would it cannibalize the yeah. Oil Kings? Like the walk-up, yeah, exactly. the walk-up, you know, I was asking you, do you know how many people have season tickets for Oil Kings? Yeah. You know, and I don't know. I mean, you were you were shooting out the number fifteen hundred. How many people? Well, I think I think as far as last numbers I heard, and these were these were a while ago. I heard the the Oilers had about just over five thousand season ticket holders. Not that's not to mean season tickets. They have about fourteen thousand season tickets, but those fourteen thousand season tickets are owned by about five thousand people. So right. because everyone has at least two season tickets. So you look at that, and that's ten thousand, and then some have four, sure. and some companies have four. So yeah. that's where you get your 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 season ticket holder base. Is 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 this was a while ago? I heard these numbers. It's probably higher now, probably closer to six or seven, but it was about five thousand. So I'm looking at the Oil Kings now. What their season ticket holder base is, and I think it's about fifteen hundred to two thousand. And you get each each season ticket holder has two tickets, so you have four thousand tickets season tickets for every game, and then everything else is is walk up. So um, so we're looking at about you know two, three, four thousand people per game as walk up for Oil Kings. Yeah, something like that. Take. Yeah, give or take. And obviously the Sunday afternoon games were a big hit for so for if, a lot of people. You know, let's say, I mean, you know, bring in an AHL team. And I'm thinking it would probably take away from the Oil Kings base somewhat, both on the season ticket side and on the walk up side. Probably, like the Oilers are always going to sell out. We're go- yep. They're going to yep. find their market. And they're going to find their base. They're always yep. going to sell out. But yeah, this does give an option. Like the Oil Kings were always the option for people that can't afford to go to the Oilers games, and I think the Oil Kings did well in that first year because they got people got a chance to go into the new arena, and, and they didn't have to pay an arm and a leg to go watch an event there. They can go and pay twenty bucks to watch an Oil Kings game, and I think it was very affordable for people. Um, I think the 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 lure of the arena is, is drying up a little bit now. People have seen it now. It's on onus is on the teams to get better because the Oil Kings have been very bad in the last couple of years. Um, and so I think there's a lot of pressure on the Elkings now to improve the product because people are now going to be drawn to the product as opposed to the arena, which would, they got away with the first couple of years. But it would be interesting to see if people would come to watch the AHL team if it was no good, if it was losing, if it was not doing well, if it did make the playoffs. Would they be playing in front of an empty arena? Yeah. Well, I think the fact that, uh, you know, assuming that the Oilers were to have an AHL team, I think it would put a little bit more onus on the team to actually provide a better on-ice product for that AHL team. I mean, the the Bakersfield Condors, uh, in the three years, they have not made the playoffs yet. Uh, Oklahoma City did quite well in the five years that they were uh, that they were there. I believe they made the Eastern Conference Final twice. They were quite well. They never made a finals. Yeah. But the, the Oilers as a farm team has never really been all that successful. Uh, we've always talked about how, well, I mean, it's, it's a product of the Oilers themselves. Every time we had a good young player, they were brought up right away. Yeah. They never really had time to develop those guys. And I feel like if, uh, if Edmonton had an AHL team, there would be a little bit more onus on that, on, the, on Shirelli to have a better product on the, on the ice there. Uh, but, again, I don't think there's a situation where you could have both the Oil Kings and an AHL franchise. It would have to be an either-or situation. Yeah. Uh, the people who support the Oil Kings do so because, again, of the, the cheaper option. We love hockey in this city. 
we want to be able to consume as much as we can. Obviously, most of us cannot afford the Oilers, uh, especially multiple times a year. You, yeah. get, you maybe select one date, circle it on the calendar, be like, that's the Oilers game I'm going to. Yeah. But there's no way for the average person they're going to go see multiple dates on the calendar you just can't do it uh and i think if the if the uh, price point for an ahl franchise is similar to that of the oil kings and there's that connection between the oilers and that ahl franchise you know that these guys that you're watching could eventually be called up like you watch ty ratty play 50 games light it up and the next thing you know he's on Connor mcdavid's line there's a huge connection there and uh, if you have a goaltender who's coming up through the ranks and you want to see how this kid's doing i mean we could have watched lb for two years you might have a better assessment of what LB was as a goaltender if you're seeing it from Edmonton and uh, I just think the fans would eat it up in in such a different way and I mean the Oil Kings I love the Oil Kings I'm not trying to drag them through the mud here saying they need to get out of town or whatever thing like that they've been incredibly successful but uh I, I just feel like the for for junior hockey, there are some we, – we talked about this too. Uh, there are other places in Alberta that could use some junior hockey. We talked about Grand Prairie and Fort McMurray, uh, big cities in, the, in northern Alberta, 60,000 population. They don't have junior hockey. Uh, and the, the one thing I love about junior hockey, and I mentioned it before, there is the fact that a, a small town could have a big star player. Yeah. You know, like Brandon Wheat Kings, you know, small town Manitoba, small town-ish. You know, they get to watch Nolan Patrick for three years. You know, I, and I, I, that's what I love about junior hockey. Uh, and I, that's where I think it should stay. And I just feel like Edmonton and Calgary are especially a little bit of an anomaly when it comes to the dub. They are in that sense. And I think that's one of the reasons the dub is not in Winnipeg. And I think uh, there's always been talk about trying to get a, a Western Hockey League team in Winnipeg. It would obviously cut down the – help out the Brandon Wee Kings a lot. Um but since the, they brought the Manitoba boost back, they, there's just no talk. That's not going to happen. And, yep. and even the the owners of Cranbrook, they're from Winnipeg. And the thought was they're going to buy Cranbrook and move it to Winnipeg. And then AHL team you're in, and there's, there's no room for them. Nope. So you're right. You could bring the American Hockey League team, but it would come at the expense of the Western Hockey League it team. It would have to, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, Stockton, uh, their attendance numbers in the WHL are just – one of the lowest in the league, if not the lowest. So they averaged 3,600 fans last year. That's yeah. It's in not AHL, viable. Yeah. And in the AHL, we've seen the way that they've been able to just switch entire divisions like that. I think, obviously, if Edmonton were to get an AHL team, Calgary would have to be on board. Well, that's sort of what I think. I mean, like uh, the AHL reorganizing thing and bringing franchises in or bringing franchises into the AHL that are based in California, mm-hmm. you'd almost have to be looking at a switch Yep. Like you're moving your franchises up to Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, I would argue. You already have one in Winnipeg. And then eventually when the NHL expands to Seattle, you have one around there too. Yep. And there's your division right there. And that that is, you know, assuming, you know, that the California experiment it would be a failure, right? Mm-hmm. That could be an option, maybe. Yeah. Using the Moose as an example and the Marlies, you know, and even the Laval team. They can work in a, in a Canadian market and there's enough interest. Now, let me throw this out to you. I think an AHL team could work in Edmonton, but I want to know if we could make all three work. And I think the one, I think the only way you could make it work is if you had a secondary arena to fall back on, <laughs> just in case. I mean, that's that'd be really hard programming. You know, what thirty six dates for the Old Kings, forty for the AHL team, forty for the Oilers, or you know, however many home games there are. Plus you practice. Know, plus practice. Yeah. Plus exhibition. Stuff like that. You'd have to have a second ice sheet, yeah. and you, it, you're not going to like build another new arena. Yes, we have the Coliseum still standing, but I think it has to be probably a ten thousand seat arena. Like, 
you know, <laughs> you need something in like this the town, Center, would that yeah. even yeah. would that even be a would that be an option? Yeah. Maybe I don't know. I don't think that's going to happen because no. I don't think Daryl no. Cates is going to build one. The city certainly no. isn't going to build one. <laughs> so, but yeah, pie in the sky. You know, it's like hey, we can we can make we can justify having this ten thousand seat arena. God only knows where in town you'd build it. It doesn't really matter. Um, to me, that's what would have to happen if you wanted to keep all three. Um, one thing I was going to say, we're talking about, you know, as a fan watching the team, like an AHL farm team and watching the prospects. But as an organization, wouldn't that be a huge plus, being able to go and watch your prospects on the regular without having to travel? Oh, definitely. That would be that'd be a huge plus. And I think that's the appeal to Winnipeg and that's the appeal to Toronto and that's the appeal to a lot of the teams that have their team, Philadelphia, that have their teams there. That You don't have to go anywhere. And if you call a guy up, he just walks from one dress room to the other. Yep. I think it's, it's obviously that's a, that's a huge appeal. Especially if you need one on an emergency basis. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. For, for for the Oilers to have their AHL franchise so close, I just see a lot of positives for the organization uh, and, and for the fans. I, I mean, it, it's pie-in-the-sky stuff. I mean, this, this whole conversation kind of started from just a pie-in-the-sky conversation Craig and I were having. But the more I, I thought about it, the more I, I just love the idea of having uh, an AHL franchise here in Edmonton. And, uh, again, I love the Oil Kings, and I I just feel like I'm just poo-pooing on the Oil Kings, saying they should just get out of town here, and that's not the case. But uh, there are a lot of... Uh, I just I just feel like uh, from a media aspect too, covering that team, the correlations between the Oilers and whatever this AHL franchise would be. There's just so much crossover there, and uh, the I don't know. I just it seems like something that would be a hit. Maybe I'm reading the tea leaves a little wrong here, but uh, I do feel like it would be a hit. And I mean, the Oil Kings are a hit uh, at the box office, obviously, but I think a lot of that just has to do with the price point. I mean, we we love the Oil Kings because we love hockey. We love junior hockey. I think uh, there's a huge market for junior hockey still, but I do think that that does cross over for the for the AHL too. I don't think that uh, the secondary uh, hockey market here in the city is just for junior hockey. I just think that uh, having that second team at an affordable price point is the most important thing. And if that turns out that it's an AHL team with players who are Oilers, players who can get called up, and who are directly in the pipeline for the Oilers, I think that's even better. Another conversation for another day is bringing the ECHL team here, too. Oh, no. Nah, nice. just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks a lot, guys. Thanks. That's our Oil Spills podcast for today. You can listen to our show via iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud.